There was something else happening besides Empower this week in Houston, CIRA week. Mark, give us the download on what happened at CIRA. Well, what's happened so far is I think you're seeing the, you know, the new iteration or generation of CIRA week, which is, you know, been pretty clearly divided along the, the line of politics where you've got the traditionalists that are now, you know, urging more balance in the transition versus, you know, the, the uh, more progressive side of the conversation and politics is right in the middle of it. Uh, there's there's been a lot of interesting kind of revelations and data points and forecasts put out this week. We can it, it we can seems almost um, interesting that it's really lines driven down political points on two fronts. One is Ukraine. Those you know, I mean, it really is like the Russia OPEC. They're not here this week, and that's a Ukraine story. But at the same time, it's sort of the the greenies. I mean, Europe clearly is leading in the transition. And that includes a lot of, I mean, Europe and, and Middle East, I'm not even going to count, but it's like, it's almost similar. You've got sort of the big U.S.-based uh, firms that are the loudest on moving forward on not being as aggressive on the green transition, which is interesting because Shell and, and, and BP are not as aggressive in their comments. What say you, Mark or, or Colin or Chuck? So are you saying that really your political divide is bifurcated into Russia, Ukraine, geopolitics, and then green versus traditional energy. Which is really a Europe versus U.S. kind of story in some ways. It actually is. I've never thought about it in that framing, but that's kind of an interesting way to think about it because we never really think about it as U.S. versus Europe. Yeah, and, and underneath all of that, recently I, I saw a characterization of Europe versus U.S. as regards to how we think about incentives for transition. We have the IRA in the, U in the US. We've seen more punitive things proposed in Europe recently. And so it's described as carrots in the US and sticks in, in Europe. And Patrick Puyon, who runs Total Energies this morning, I believe, or yesterday, said during his discussion with Dan Jurgen is that what Europe needs is to really simplify the, the framework and the incentives, the U.S. is is much more attractive in terms of making those kind of bridge and transition type investments. I know I, I, that that is true. But but if you look at some of the self-consumption laws in Europe, that's almost being rolled out across Europe wide and even in the U.K., which is not Europe anymore, FYI, to some people, um, they're actually more progressive and they're incentivizing consumers and businesses to be able to take advantage of sort of the green transition by using renewables. And California, who's arguably leading on the transition, even though they're crazy AF, those fuckers are crazy. Um, they're not even like they're they're struggling with FERC and with California regulators on how to implement similar laws that Europe already has on the books. Two things. One, we wouldn't be having this discussion about Europe, or we'd be having a different tone if we hadn't had the warmest winter in Europe since 1881. <laughs> so that's, that's number one. Global warming actually bailed us out. Global warming bailed out Europe. And, and we Trump built, bailed me out earlier today. So is that similar? Yeah, probably so. The, but uh, we've talked about this on BDE. I think it was totally unappreciated by the U.S. markets that 20% of the earnings of the S&P 500 come out of Europe. And had we actually seen a normal to slightly cold winter there, 
I think we would be talking economic recession in Europe. So that's number one. Number two, Colin, I hate to say this, we're having this wonderful Empower event at this beautiful facility, but Sierra Weeks reusable, recycled plastic bottles so that everyone has water from the water fountain far out trumps any cup I've seen here. Oh, that's a I'm fail, just saying, man. Dude, that's a fail. Huge fail on Digital Wildcatters' part. I can't I'm saying it's a fail on Sierra Week. It's bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, Brainwash. we dropped the ball with the uh, recyclable bottles, so we'll, we'll make a mental note of that. I, I rank the Sierra uh, reusable water containers right up there with the UN's holiday card. It's like, that's all it is. What's funny about Sierra Week, and, and going back to be serious for a moment, is the U.S.-based energy companies are telling Europe, I told you so, though. And, and part of it is you're lucky as fuck that you had a warm winter because you're about to be in some big pain um, in the coming years. And, and we've seen the European counterparts, namely Shell and BP, either say we're going to stop this notion that letting our oil production decline, Shell, last week, or BP tapping the brakes a little bit on its own decline uh, as it relates to, you know, investor pushback on their shares underperformance. So I did text with Weil, CEO of Shell, earlier because we're supposed to get together later. Um, Hold on, that, is, get some a, that is a name drop on par with the Chuck Yates name drop. Well <laughs> played, Kirk. Well played, <laughs> Chuck Yates. No warning for right that either. Hell yeah, man. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, you I just said what I'm saying. I said I'd get back to you off the record once I got some insights off the record. And then it'll be on the record because everyone listens to BDE as we we've go. proven time and time again. Hey, Mark, you sent around a uh, tweet today from Colonel Drake. Hit that real quick. Yeah. Because this it, is fascinating. There, there's been a growing conversation around the degradation of Permian inventory. This focuses on some flow flow LLC analysis, Tom, is it Lawfrey? Um, looking at Delaware Basin top decile wells in 2022 compared to the same grouping of wells, top decile wells in 2017, we've seen a 15% degradation. And so a lot of the comments that we've heard this week as well from CEOs is, is really acknowledging that this you know, we're seeing the end of the runway, if you if you will, for tier one and the easier growth that comes from that. Um, I just thought it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty interesting because if you think back to 2017, we were just getting started in terms of incorporating and integrating a lot of uh, of good, just basic kind of analytics into making subsurface decisions and predictions on well spacing completion design. And you've got much more of that theoretically involved in, in decisions in the 2022 sample of wells, yet they're 15% poorer. Tells you is, nothing is, changes the rock. This has opened up conversations online about um, international offshore conventional exploration. I saw a tweet the other day that was asking, like, hey, when do you really start to see capital flow into offshore conventional projects? Is it five years, 10 years? And I think something interesting that we saw this week was with North Slope, uh, Conoco Asset, 
Mark just told me something backstage. It's like something crazy on change.org. Like there's a petition with like a yeah, million. Yeah, just circling back to the M&A discussion. I mean, good dirt is good dirt. I mean, that's what we're seeing here with the fact that all these guys that came in, especially from California, you fucks. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> especially with all these technology companies saying, hey, I can use AI and all this to increase your productivity. But the reality is good dirt is good dirt, right? And will that make M&A activity even more um, interesting to watch over the next year. One, one quick point and then go to M&A activity real quick. I want to magnify this. It's down 15% from 2017. If you look at 2000, call it 10 or 12, somewhere in there through 17, the average IP of a well was up 40% a year, right? In 17, it was up 17%. What was interesting, though, is Exxon and Chevron were late to the game drilling in the Permian. If you take out the, the Chevron and the Exxon wells drilled in 2017, because they have the best acreage there, right? If you take Absolutely. those wells out, the average well was actually down 8% in 2017. So it's even worse. The great acreage of those two companies is making this bad statistic even worse well not even on that but i mean you look at the difference in business models between pe backed operators and the majors like shell and chevron i mean if you look at a breakdown from wells drilled in 2019 i think in the permian basin the majors were responsible for like five percent of them so they don't just go burn through their acreage like some of these pe back companies do or they'll go drill and try to provide uh you know prove value through the drill bit and then flip the asset and so they'll sit on that asset for a long time and develop it over a much longer time horizon too. So that's interesting. I didn't think about backing them out of that data set and seeing how that actually affects the it's been, the a, it's been a huge drop from call it, you know, 16 to today. So, so, so what does this all mean to kind of tie it up? You were, re, you were referring to Willow project, which is Conoco's big to be determined, right? It depends upon administration approval on the North Slope, it's 8 billion for 600 million barrels of reserve potential. It's in the National Petroleum Reserve. <clears throat> Ryan Lance addressed it, I think, yesterday. He said, look, we keep down this path and we've got shale degradation upon us. We're heading back to the 70s or 80s, meaning we're gonna get, you know, we're gonna have to backfill from somewhere else, the implication being not the US. And so I think it's, it's you know, it even ele elevates and amplifies the, the importance and the notion of these big conventional projects that we can bring online. I mean, Willow's projected to contribute at Plateau 180,000 barrels a day. I want to go on a slight, well, unless you want to continue to stop, but I've got a tangent that I think is real interesting. Wanted so to long as somebody brings up caribou, because we're, we're, we're in about Alaska, to. but go ahead. <laughs> no, this is, this is a tech point. I was at HPE this week. And one of their experts on uh, the guy that builds out HPE's cloud and data centers, um, we were talking about chat GPT and all this. Um, he was making a comment, and he focused on energy too, but he was making this comment that in the future, companies are going to be valued by their data <laughs> because the insights from data, and we capture so much data. And I was like, well, let's look at oil and gas. I mean, all oil and gas companies are are basically valued on their reserves, but a molecule is a molecule. I was like, <laughs> a, 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 a data is not the same data. I mean, it's the insights that come from the data. And he's like, 
just watch out. And we've been talking about since I got in this business in 2010, where it's like data is the new oil. It might finally be here. I had a, a pretty popular tweet where I was like, oil is the new oil. It turns <laughs> out. But actually, I, think oil I saw will someone always on Twitter uh, yesterday um, talking about this uh, 15% uh, decline in uh, IP from Wells and the Permian. And he's like, so much for big data and analytics and artificial intelligence making more Dude. production. I'm like, you can't change the rock, right? And of course, you can focus on, you know, how much oil you're actually recovering and different well-designed and construction and, and, you know, internal efficiency across operations. But, you know, at the end of the day, you start chewing through the best rock. You got to expect that what, what? you're going to have production declines. And I also think that it's a grift to be like, you know, some of these companies, they start high grading their assets. And so, oh, $110 oil, this tier two rock is now categorized exactly. as tier one. I think, uh, the, the tier that you're determining your asset, you know, how it's ranked should be on the rock itself I, and not just by what's economic in a, in a price I, environment. I, I think in absolute terms, that's right. We're not going to see kind of a regeneration of tier one performance because we've applied better technology and, and bigger data and analytics to poorer rock. I mean, the rock is inherently limited. It also makes the margin for error, smaller so i think the the what what you know big data can provide in terms of prediction is very helpful from a, from a capital avoidance standpoint where you don't overdevelop and overcapitalize crappy rock everybody's had the experience where we've got the pad that you know we kind of trial and error by brute force you put 200 million dollars in the ground and then you find out it's sub-economic um, and so i think I think technology and data are going to be even more important to make those at the margin decisions for tier two and tier, tier three. I remember an investment committee meeting at Kane. Somebody walked in and they were talking about the rock. And are the you still at Kane or is that a different story? Do you not read the Wall Street Journal? <laughs> that was business, great. Chuck, businessman. Chuck, yeah, he yeah. hasn't snuck How into their computer people have yet. been fired on this couch? Oh, <laughs> yeah. a, a lot yeah, here. 100% hit yeah, rate like you over guys there for being How, how many people have had it written up in the Wall Street Journal where it says, Chuck Yates leaves the firm? I demanded a retraction. I was like, <laughs> I was fired. But no, so we're sitting in the investment committee meeting and we're talking about the acreage and somebody asked the question, you know, is it tier one? Is it tier two? And the next question was, are we buying or selling? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was talking to, speaking, I'm going to go to Europe for a second. I was talking to one of my Financial Times name drop, Financial Times buddies. There's a, so speaking of Sierra Week and, and this week, which is funny, it's like they're giving hell because the U.S.-based energy oil and gas companies were against Biden's IRA. But I'm so I'm reading it this and in the IRA, it gives like 80, you know, they're going to pay $85 a ton for CO2 reduction, reduction, $185 a ton for uh, direct air capture, which I think is complete bullshit. And I've looked at every direct air capture company out there. I think it's a freaking snake, snake oil. But I was thinking about this business model. I was looking at Denberry. I'm like, these guys have massive CO2 capabilities and they're using it to make money on flooding. But if they get paid $85 a ton and it's projected over the next few years, they're going to be using, putting up to 50 tons, 50 million tons 
of CO2 in the ground. So not only are they making money off EOR, but they get an extra $4.2 billion on top of that in tax credits. I, I talked like, to the CMP guy. Investment advice. I, I talked to the CMP guy. He's like, dude, this is amazing. He's like, we produce oil and gas. We'll, we'll create the carbon. Then we'll capture it. We'll inject it and we'll get paid. And then we'll buy like, Bitcoin full, on it. It's a, I mean, full, it's, like, it's a full loop, producing and then re-injecting it. So, unbelievable. Don't right, worry, we man. Got, Den we Barry got a, will figure out a way to fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but <laughs> we gotta I'm wrap, just saying the idea. We got to wrap this up, um, but it wouldn't be a true ending to Big Digital Energy if we didn't end with a finger of the week. So do we have a Damn. finger of the week uh, lined up? Who's getting the finger? All right, if not, something? I'll go. I tweeted this out earlier in the week. At Digital Wildcatters, in the men's bathroom stall, we have dude wipes. And dude wipes are the greatest thing on the planet. But there's some idiot in the office that leaves the bags open and they dry out. So I had to hang a sign in the stall that says, please, if you leave the bag open, the dude wipes will dry out. Stop doing this, asshole. <laughs> okay. So that so. person, whoever they is, are, we're going to find you. <laughs> you get the finger of the week. Hey, Chuck, is. it could be someone on this couch <laughs> since it's in the digital wildcatters. Well, I mean, there's other, there's other companies in there. So if they're at DW, I don't think anyone from DW is, is that dumb to do that. So anyways, whoever that is, they're getting finger of the week. So gentlemen, appreciate y'all coming and doing this uh, live here today. Appreciate anyone that stayed back to listen to us uh, ramble up here. We yeah. really appreciate yeah, it. I count two. I count two three, four. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Um, if y'all haven't checked out our podcast, Big Digital Energy, we do it once a week. It goes out Tuesday at 6 a.m. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. So uh, these guys up here always have great insight into the energy industry and the market. So definitely check it out. And if you enjoy it, share it with a friend. And I hope y'all enjoy the rest of Empower. I think that they are having a workshop up at the Cashmere Lounge on level three. If y'all haven't been up there, really cool uh, spot. And they'll be doing some workshops, Q&A. And I think the next workshop starts at 1230, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, make sure to run up there and check that out. All right. Thank you, guys. Peace.